0: Hi, this is Christian Takushi, your independent geopolitical strategist and macroeconomist, coming to you with our latest um, geopolitical analysis, this time touching on the uh, the war in Ukraine. And not necessarily really on the tactical theater, uh, what is happening there on a daily basis, but more the strategic landscape of this war. As usual, our research is focusing on that which consensus is underestimating or overlooking. And we're focusing surely on strategic issues uh, that, that actually could matter um, medium term, long term. I will enumerate uh, those issues that I believe have being, uh, are being currently underestimated or overlooked uh, to our detriment in the West. Uh, first of all, the the 40th anniversary of the Falklands War. In 1982, Argentina invaded the Falklands Islands, British territories in the South Atlantic. It led to a war, uh, the unfolding uh, soon next two months Britain reconquered the islands. It was quite an amazing um, performance by the British Armed Forces and uh, currently, military experts the world over are actually reviewing what happened in the Falklands uh, 40 years ago. Military experts and uh, our strategies are looking at what happened there, and it's quite interesting, the timing, because we are now um, having a war in Ukraine, and there are two elements here that I'd like to highlight. Um, early this year, It was confirmed uh, through the declassification of secret documents that in 1982 the UK mobilized nuclear weapons and sent 31 nuclear weapons to the South Atlantic into the conflict zone. Um, From what I have ascertained, two uh, flagships of the UK Navy transported those nuclear weapons. Uh, thank God the UK uh, did not use them, uh, but it shows that the UK was ready to escalate uh, with nuclear weapons if necessary. Uh, the other reason that I mentioned in the Falklands War is because uh, in 1982, uh, most of Latin America was supporting Argentina in their cause, most Latin most Latin American nations overwhelmingly supported Argentina, with some rare exceptions. Those, we should say Chile, for sure, maybe to some extent Colombia, which took a a rather uh, independent, neutral stance. But why didn't all these Latin American nations that often see each other as brothers Uh, Latin brothers, why didn't they come to help Argentina? Well, there is a threat of war. Um, Europe, especially uh, the UK, would not tolerate that uh, any Latin American nation would help Argentina by sending troops or by sending weapons. Um, Latin American nations were made understood where they were um they received the clear message that if they help argentina with weapons they would be dragged into the war and they could be subject to attacks by the uk so none of those nations wanted to uh, to be dragged into the war so they had to abstain from sending weapons to argentina Later, we learned that that one or two countries did send some weapons, but they did it in, in secret operations, highly difficult secret operations, because they were afraid and they were actually uh, were made to think that if they support Argentina, one of the combatant nations, they themselves will be dragged into the war. Um, this is very interesting because all over the world, military experts, um, political leaders are 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 reviewing what happened in the Falklands 40 years ago and they see that um, the what they're saying in Asia and Latin America is that uh, and also in parts of Africa is that the UK is using a different standard here there is a double standard that um, uh the UK is now sending weapons to Ukraine but it's expecting Russia not to treat the uk as a combatant nation interestingly it's not just the uk we have a few nato countries that are providing very important military help to ukraine and uh, and and actually this military help is very understandable because because of what's happening in ukraine and the assistance that ukraine needs but this is not the point that i'm talking this is something that the whole world is talking about and there is complete sympathy for that i'm talking about the issue of um, european nations uh, sending weapons to a combatant nation but their leaders believing that they have nothing to do with the war so they see themselves safe and that they are not at all involved in the war so europe is now doing something that it expected Latin America not to do 40 years ago. Latin nations abstained from sending weapons, although they very much believed that Argentina was in their right. And now Latin American nations and other <laughs> nations in Africa and Asia say when it's Europe's turn, they played it by different rules. They sent massive military aid and massive weapons uh, supplies to. To Ukraine, but they want to be treated as neutral states. They are not combatant states. The other issue where um, uh, many nations uh, around the world are seeing or th- are, are being uh, discussed in recent weeks is the issue with nuclear weapons. Uh, the West has reacted very angrily to, um, to Russia mentioning its nuclear weapons and that they may escalate with nuclear weapons the position of our Western leaders is that um, Russia cannot do that because this is a conventional war and there is no right, it's not legitimate for Russia to escalate with nuclear weapons. Well, uh, what we know and some nations are saying, well, the UK was not doing this back in 1982. The UK uh, to, you know, uh, safeguard its interest, decided to deploy its nuclear weapons. Uh, thank God they were never used. Uh, so is the West now demanding something from Russia that the West was not willing to do it in 1982? So is there a double moral standard here? This is also something that is being discussed. The third point that I want to bring is: is this? Isn't it seems interesting the timing of all this. The timing of all this um, has some implications for the West because, in many capitals around the world, they are talking about this. They're talking about these issues. The Falklands War is being remembered all around the world, uh, especially by military specialists, especially because the UK is taking a very important role in this war in Ukraine. And the UK was one of the combatant nations in the Falklands War 40 years ago. And the interesting thing that I find uh, remarkable is that we here in the West are not paying attention to what other neutral nations are saying or thinking. We are uh, actually... um, even thinking and this is what our media is telling us that the whole world is united uh, in our support and the whole world is united in you know um in actually criticizing russia and ladies and gentlemen unfortunately that is not the case that is not the case um I don't want to say that our media is lying to us, but I think it is understandable that we're all a bit patriotic and that we all have a little... When there is a war, uh, the media is a bit biased. It's normal. Every media is biased in, in wartime. I don't, I don't mind so much the bias of our media, which is understandable now, especially when we look at the images that are coming from Ukraine. What I mind is that every information, every news, every opinion that is not in line with our Western narrative, is being treated as Putin or Russia propaganda. And that could turn out to be very bad for the West. That could turn out to be very counterproductive for us. There are many important nations out there, neutral nations. They are not on our side, they are not on the side of Russia. They completely disagree with us. Some of them see... Uh, some of these nations out there believe that Russia and the West are responsible for this war there are even important nations out there they believe that the West has prepared and planned this war that the West has orchestrated this whole war some of the nations that voted in support of our UN motion have reported that they were pressed pressurized, coerced and threatened by the west to do so where is the explanation to it is it true or not have we coerced some nations to vote with us did we apply threats and pressure for them to vote for us if so it would reduce it would dramatically reduce or or reduce from what we are saying, we are helping Ukraine because it's all about democracy and freedom. But if we are not respecting the democracy in other nations, for them to make up their own mind, this is very serious. We have to address the reports that we have coerced and threatened nations into following our sanctions. Otherwise, we would sanction them. We have to address this issue. It's very important that we address it is it true or is it not and the reason why i'm saying is that by the perceived pressure we put on other nations there is a backlash the west has never been this isolated in the world and around the world like it is today and our media is not reporting about this backlash um, in latin america in africa in the middle east in south asia in the far east I mean, Northeast Asia, and in Southeast Asia, the West is widely isolated. Many nations there are distancing themselves from us. And at the last UN vote, where um, Russia was exposed from the UN Human Rights Council, uh, I saw many Western leaders in media saying the whole world is united in this. Uh, Sorry, I have to say, uh, according to to the data I've seen, 47% of the nations out there did not support our motion. They did not. 47% is a lot. And some of the nations that voted with us reportedly said that we pressured them, we pressurized them. Is that how we is that how we want to uphold democracy and freedom by using the same methods we criticize Russia for? We have to address these incriminations. Are they true or not? And we have to say, our governments have to come out and say, "This nation said that we threatened them. India says that we threatened them. It's not true. We have not." Uh, we have to address it. And I have to say, I've done my homework in some of these nations. Uh, unfortunately, it's true. We have used coercion and we have used threats uh, for some of these nations. And I think this has been a terrible mistake because we are not helping Ukraine's cause with this. We're not helping Ukraine with this. Rather the opposite, we're not, 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 not just helping Ukraine, we're also isolating the West in the world. And this is a great concern that I have. Consensus and our media are completely overlooking and disregarding the opinion of powerful non-aligned economies out there. I'm talking about big economies like Brazil, Mexico, Indonesia, South Africa, Pakistan, India, and so on. They are not in agreement with us. Some of these nations believe both Russia and, and Europe and NATO are responsible for this. Some of them believe even it is NATO that has or- orchestrated this whole trouble because we in the West are over-indebted. Inflation was running out of control. Uh, we needed to do something and the West needed uh, an external conflict. We have to address we have to address those opinions. And this is why this um, um, these complaints of Western double standards, these complaints of Western, Western double standards, or Western mor- double moral standards have to be addressed. We have to improve our communication. We have to improve the way we communicate with the rest of the world. Otherwise, the West may, may win this war with Russia, it may win this battle with Russia, but it may lose the rest of the world. The rest of the world may not want to follow us later. And ladies and gentlemen, it matters because these countries could start veering away from the West. They may start using their own currencies. They may start using commodities as currency. They may start using gold. They may start trading with with each other without using dollars and euros. And if they start doing so, we won't be able to live beyond our means. The West, Europe, and the US are highly indebted, basically, they, they, basically bankrupt, uh, and we can get away with this because the whole world uses our currencies and the whole world uses our banking system. Uh, so we have to treat... Uh, these other continents, these multi-aligned nations or non-aligned nations with some respect and we have to listen to what they're saying. Um, Let me just tell you the example of India. India is a very important nation. India actually could decide the whole West-East conflict. The whole NATO conflict with Russia and China could be decided by India. India has maintained neutrality all these years. But recently, recently, twice in one month, uh, Western leaders, uh, I think, made a mistake to arrogantly put pressure on, on India and tell India what India has to do. India took it as a threat. And we doubled down, we doubled down, we threatened India. Uh, to follow us in our sanctions against Russia or face consequences. And ladies and gentlemen, we should not be talking to an important country uh, like India in that way. Um, that's that's not really serving our strategic Western interests. That's not even helping Ukraine. Um, we have to, be to, we have to be able to do better in explaining our position in explaining why we are supporting Ukraine, and we should not uh, we should not resort to such um, tactics of pressure, coercion or threats because they really diminish uh, the standing of the West around the world, and they actually only confirm to many nations. Uh, that we indeed use double moral standards. We anyway have to deal with the fact that uh, the 40th anniversary of the Falklands Islands war has um, drawn the attention of what happened in 1982 to a lot of military experts and nations out there. As I mentioned earlier in this um, podcast, uh, the UK and Europe... Uh, including the United States, expect, and the United States expected Latin American nations to abstain from sending weapons to Argentina. We forced Latin American nations to abstain and not to send any weapons to Argentina. Uh, and we basically told them, you give weapons to Argentina, you will be attacked, you will be dragged into the conflict. Um, currently, We are not doing that. Currently, we're sending weapons to to Ukraine and we're telling everybody that there's no problem, That's normal, that you can always send weapons. You're not yet a combatant. No one has to treat you. No one has to drag you into the conflict. Um, The world hasn't changed so much in 40 years. Um, Also, 40 years ago, the UK was very ready to and willing to deploy nuclear weapons and to eventually escalate into a nuclear conflict, Uh, but we are telling Russia that they cannot do that. They cannot escalate uh, from a conventional uh, warfare theater into a nuclear one. That escalation is not admissible or legitimate. So these these are things that we need to address, and we better address them publicly, otherwise we may lose more support out there in the West, sorry, out there in the world, outside of the West. There is another point that i also want to to mention that i believe we are overlooking Um, i hear many experts even military experts and political leaders talk in recent weeks um, about the the impossibility inadmissibility that the 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 impossibility really the of this scenario of a nuclear warfare. Most of these political leaders and experts say a nuclear, a nuclear war is out of question, is impossible, inadmissible, because the Russians know that if they use nuclear weapons, that there is no winner. There will be no winner. And uh, I am surprised to hear this. I don't know if this is part of propaganda, or part of just a certain narrative, because this is actually the view that we had in the 1960s and 70s, uh, given the weapons that we had back then during the Cold War, and given the fact that we had two blocks, only two blocks, um, and any use of major thermonuclear weapons back then would have indeed meant complete destruction of both sides basically of all mankind we call it M.A.D. Mutual assured destruction but ladies and gentlemen two big things are different this time a technology one of the two parties especially Russia has developed uh, tactical nuclear weapons on mass and this has changed this has changed the whole landscape. With the rise of tactical nuclear weapons, there are now a lot of opportunities and new possibilities, opening new scenarios for, for warfare scenarios where you can avoid a complete annihilation of the human race. So um, this, this means there is now a possibility of limited nuclear warfare, limited in the damage and the casualties and the implications. The second thing that has changed is that back in the Cold War there were two blocks. The whole world was divided in two blocks. The Soviet one or the NATO, the the Western one. Basically most nations in the world were in either one of these two blocks. Every nation knew to which block it belonged, and it knew where the neighbor is. Everybody knew which side you are. This has changed dramatically. Over the past 15 years, it has become everyone for himself. And who is responsible for this? We. We have initiated this. It's everyone for himself. Um, we have now in the world more alliances than key nations. Yes, back in the Cold War we had two alliances, the Soviet Pact and NATO. Today we have many, many alliances. There are many alliances, there are even secret alliances between two countries, three countries, four countries, just five countries. So we have even within NATO several alliances. Take example of Turkey. Back in the Cold War, Turkey was just a member of NATO. Today, Turkey has a cooperation treaty with, with, uh, with China. It has cooperation with, uh, with, with Russia. It has cooperation with Israel. It has a cooperation with NATO countries. Uh, it, I'm just giving you one example. There are many nations that are in different alliances, in different pacts, in different treaties. Basically, you don't know who your real friends are. It's, as I said, everyone for himself. Even NATO. NATO is now portrayed to be very united. But, ladies and gentlemen, it looks united. But it's not as united as we portray it to be. And it is a highly asymmetric alliance. Where the U.S. as a superpower... And the UK and France, to some extent, are responsible for the protection of 27 other members. And most of those members are relying on Article 5 for their defense, but they forget that um, it's also the case that one NATO member can drag all the other 29 members into war. Yes. Currently, uh, And this is the view in other countries outside of the West, especially in Asia. Uh, The view is that four NATO members are already providing significant military assistance and military weapons to Ukraine. So these four NATO members have dragged all of NATO into war, technically. So Russia, Russia... can now see all of NATO as legitimate targets. This is a view that quite a few capitals, quite a few nations out there, are are seeing, right? So, uh, I believe that um, it's remarkable that so many Western leaders are relying on a uh, an understanding that dates back to the Cold War to say Russia will not use nuclear weapons because they know it means the complete destruction of humankind, of the human race. On the one hand, they say President Putin is a complete, un, completely unpredictable person, but on the other hand, they expect him to be very rational about the use of nuclear weapons. It's quite a contradiction, isn't it? This is actually, I believe, a great cause of concern. We um, are supporting Ukraine militarily, but we are not preparing the complete mobilization of our armed forces. And we're not preparing the complete mobilization of our societies, preparing them for war. Um, At least we should be prepared, I think. If we want to help, let's be consequential and see it through, and prepare accordingly. Because to be involved in this war, and not to prepare for war, is, uh, I believe, an ir- irresponsible act. Um, to support Ukraine and cheer up Ukraine is one thing, but to give lethal weapons is another. And we should not rely on the idea that Russia will not attack us just because we haven't declared war to them. Uh, in most of these capitals that I mentioned earlier, these nations that I mentioned earlier, they see that the West is already technically a war with Russia, A, because of the military aid that uh, a number of NATO members are giving to Ukraine already, and B, because of the massive sanctions that we have imposed on Russia. The sanctions that the West have, have has imposed on Russia, they say, are war-like sanctions. These are sanctions that have only been imposed on other countries in times of war. When we seize their assets, we seize their citizens, we, we seize the ships and airplanes, and we try to destroy, annihilate the, their economy. So they say when other countries want to destroy your economy, that's basically a declaration of war. You have the right to defend yourself. The assets of all of these countries are legitimate target. We should not forget that when when we go into war, it's not a gentleman's game, it's not a cricket game, where there are very exact rules that have to be obeyed. In war, really, everything goes, unfortunately. That is a you know, function, a reality of war. Um, that's a reason why uh, we, the West, uh, killed 25,000 civilians in one night during World War II, or 50,000 civilians in one day, or 100,000 civilians. We burned them alive. That's what we did in Japan and Germany. We, 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 we used incinerating bombs, to burn, to kill thousands of people in one day. That is the nature of war. And um, we have to actually understand that when we go down that road, that unpredictable things could happen. Therefore, uh, we have to be prepared. My suggestion was, back in this winter, at the beginning of the winter, that if the West the EU and NATO want to help Ukraine with weapons, that we should mobilize our armed forces immediately. Because we need to be ready and prepared to face the consequences as well. Not only that, if we had mobilized our armed forces, maybe Russia may have not invaded Ukraine. Because it would have seen that the West is really serious. What we are doing right now is to some extent a half-hearted effort, right? We're sending military aid, we're sending weapons, we're telling the Ukrainians where the Russians are, we're sharing military intelligence. But uh, our leaders say, oh, we are not involved in this war at all. We're not involved, no, no, no. This is just between Russia and the the Ukraine. And Ukraine, we don't have to worry. Uh, We are not combatants. We are not involved in this war. Is that really the case? And they say because we haven't declared war to them, or because we haven't sent uh you know uh you know our latest military weaponry. Um, ladies and gentlemen, there's no such a rule or such a treaty that says you are a war by doing this, but you're not at war if you don't uh, if you if you do this. There's not such a thing. There are not such a rules. There's not there's not a rule book for when you're considered an enemy or a combatant. Um, in the eyes of many nations out there, NATO is already technically at war with Russia. They think that the, the West has already declared war to, to Russia economically, but also uh, by, by weaponizing or providing weapons to, to Ukraine. This is the view, it's not all around the world, but some nations out there see it like, like, like that. And I think it's very interesting that we are not paying attention to it. Uh, so I, I, I hope that we will um, do a better job in communicating with other nations, especially neutral nations in other continents, and uh, that we also do a better job in assessing our risks. We have to do a better job in risk assessment, we did some miscalculations and those miscalculations led us here. And it's important that we don't add more miscalculations uh, to the ones that we have done already. I strongly believe that uh, the risk assessment that our Western nations are doing currently do not reflect the, real, the reality out there. I think that um, um, the West has to do a better job in uh, preparing for the eventuality of military conflict with Russia and with China as well and that 's the reason why, for twelve years i 've been warning about becoming too dependent on Russia and China. Uh, unfortunately, not many people listen to to our warnings and, and, and now we're, we're having to face its consequences. So, I think that it would be advisable for the West to take a more cautious view, to prepare for the wars, and hope that it doesn't get there. But what I'm saying is that Russia has a tremendous uh, arsenal in tactical nuclear weapons, not just nuclear, also biological, chemical and um, electromagnetic weapons and other ones uh, like cyber, they could be used against us, and uh, we should not underestimate that. Um, yeah. Finally, because not all nations are able to rely on one another because our alliance is uh, actually a very asymmetric alliance. Because of this everyone for himself situation, Russia can take advantage of it and attack some countries knowing that the others will not avenge them and risk a nuclear war with Russia. So there are scenarios that I see where neither the U.K. nor the U.S. will retaliate with nuclear weapons on Russia. And there are also other scenarios that I see where the U.K. and the U.S. could be attacked by Russia. Well, <clears throat> from where I'm, I'm, I'm sitting... Moscow has less and less to lose maybe nothing else to lose and if they think that uh, losing ukraine to nato is the end of russia well what should keep them what should keep them from trying a first strike against the west something that they may not even consider a first strike because they, they believe that the west uh, has already Declare economic war on them. I think that um, uh, the actions that we're doing on the west side are, are not really co- co- coherent. Yeah, that's it. This is what I believe. Um, I hope that um, our actions and risk assessment will be a little bit more coherent, and um, and that we can do a better job in the risk assessment. Yeah. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. This was Christian Takushi, your independent macroeconomist and geopolitical strategist with the latest analysis. Bye.